Welcome to Wisdom Talk Radio, a collaborative community of explorers in conscious living. Are you a seeker? What does that mean to you? How has this played out in your life if you consider yourself a seeker? My guest today has written a profoundly moving book about his spiritual awakening while searching for answers to life's deepest questions. Mark Matusek joins us today on today's episode of Wisdom Talk Radio. Stay tuned. I'm Laurie Seymour, host of Wisdom Talk Radio and CEO, founder of the Baca Institute. Head there to discover your creative advantage by taking the Creative Innovators Quiz. Find out your personal creative style so you can open your creative flow and make everything in life easier. Learn to optimize your ability to create more in less time while enjoying every minute. Mark Matusek is an award-winning author of seven books, a blogger for Psychology Today, and a teacher and speaker on creativity and growth using the writing to awaken method. After working at Andy Warhol's interview magazine, Mark spent a decade as a freelance writer and Dharma bum in Europe, India, and the United States. The founder of the Seekers Forum, an online community for non-sectarian spiritual dialogue, and co-founder of V-Men, the male arm of Eve Ensler's V-Day movement, he lives in Springs, New York. Welcome, Mark. I'm really delighted you are here. Thank you, Lori. It's so good to see you, and thanks for having me on. Mm, my pleasure. So you have quite a story, <laughs> as I shared with you uh, before we started the recording. I I just read your book in the last twenty four hours, so I'm, I feel like I'm kind of steeped in it, and uh, you know it's, it's sort of it's sort of resonating in my cells. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess we could begin at the beginning. You know, at the start of your journey, at least at the start of the journey that you write about in Sex, Death, and Enlightenment. And Sex, Death, and Enlightenment, not and, I keep wanting to say and. Sex, Death, Enlightenment. You're a pretty um, cynical and ambitious uh, young man, um, editor for Andy Warhol at his interview magazine in New York City. What was the... What was your movement? What was your flow to it? What made you give that up really, which was, you know, you were on the fast track to become a spiritual seeker. Yeah. Yeah. I had been aware for a while of a kind of a soul sickness in myself. I didn't know what else to call it. I felt constricted. I felt unhappy. Uh, and it was mysterious because outwardly things were pretty good. I had this great job. I had the, you know, the career that I uh, had dreamt of. And yet I was increasingly dissatisfied and I felt quite empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was fortunate enough just around the time I bottomed out uh, to meet somebody who became a mentor for me and was able to help me contextualize what was going on. He took one look at me and he said, you're having a spiritual crisis. (laughs) And I had never thought in those terms because Mm. I grew up as an agnostic Jew and a non-practicing 
you know, household. I didn't mm-hmm. have any sense of, of what God was. But when he said this to me, it rang. It was like mm-hmm. a bell rang yeah. inside me. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, once you ring that bell, you can't unring it. Exactly. Yeah. So when he said this to me, I knew that I had to change my life because if I kept going that way, I was going to die inwardly, if not if not physically. I, I was I was starting to feel physically uh, unwell, as one does through depression uh, mm-hmm. and kind of a kind of a repressed desire to change. Yeah. And as one does when you're not in harmony with yourself, when you're not living who you are. And it sounds like that is one way, at least, to say, uh, to speak to that kind of profound unhappiness. Yeah, yeah. I I was living an idea. I was living a story that Mm. I thought should be my story. uh, And it looked good from the outside, but it Uh really wasn't coming from who I deeply was. Yeah. Uh, And so once I got that, I knew that I had to change. And I don't know if you've been in this situation, but when when that happens... It's just a matter of time and and, and, and generally uh, sooner than later. So I quit my job. I, I met a teacher. I went to India. And then I feel like my my inner life really began. Mm-hmm. And from experience, <laughs> when that inner life begins, it's it's both a an acknowledgement of something profound. And it also, kind of, for me, at least catapulted me into a whole other way of living a whole, a whole different way of seeing myself and seeing life. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened for me. All of a sudden, so many of the things that I had cared about had no value for me whatsoever. And this life that I had never even contemplated the the idea of being a seeker of the truth. Mm-hmm. It, it just took deep root. Uh, in me in a way that that blew me away because I had no preparation for it. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. I felt really driven by this question of who am I, mm-hmm. uh, particularly at a time when many people were dying from AIDS and there was the fear of mortality. And I felt like if I don't do this now, uh, I, I, I used to think of it as stumbling off a cliff like a sleepwalker, mm-hmm. never having had any idea why I was here. Yes. And that scared yeah. me almost as much as, as, as perishing physically. You know, dying, well, it sounds like that's dying what you yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like I came into the world as a seeker, as a, I need to know the truth and nothing around me mirrored that. Nothing around me helped me to have any sense of who I was. So I went into psychology, the study of psychology, because that seemed like the most likely place to discover myself. Yeah, but yeah. through many years of that and being a psychotherapist, I still felt quite empty. I still felt like there was this place in me that didn't exist that I where where I didn't I didn't have substance, mm-hmm. and I didn't understand that. I did. I just felt that that place of a hole of having a hole. Mm-hmm. You had to drop from your head down into your heart and your gut. Right, right, and even go beyond emotion. Yeah. That there was something, something more than that. So <laughs> you said you grew up as an agnostic or a, a non-practicing Jew. Um, was there any kind of sense of spiritual upbringing in your life early on? Absolutely nothing. If there, if I could say it, it was anti-spiritual, <laughs> it was yes. extremely cynical. It was mm-hmm. all about dog eat dog, get ahead. Uh, beat the other guy before he beats you. Uh, 
nobody's going to take care of you, so you better take care of yourself first. It was just every sort of bad Darwinian lesson that you could get as a kid. But when I look back, Lori, I have seen that there were moments of deep questioning. I mean, I was a writer from the time, the way you were born a seeker, I was born a writer. Uh-huh. And so from the time I was a very young boy, I have been writing in a journal and keeping my thoughts and and, and asking myself deep questions. Yeah. So in that sense, uh, I, I always was a seeker. But I remember yeah. certain moments, uh, epiphany moments from when I was a kid, when existential questions would land really hard for mm-hmm. me. I once saw a, I was maybe eight years old and I lifted the, the lid of the trash can and there was a dead bird on a piece of newspaper. And I can remember so profoundly standing there and saying, is this the bird or was the bird the thing that flew, that, that flew oh, away? Wow! It was so oh. clear to me yeah. that that was a real question. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward 25 years and I was, I was actually on the road looking for, for, or bona fide answers that very question you know yes. what is the body what is the spirit how do they connect uh, how do they not connect and what can you count on you know what is that thing in oh. you that can't be taken away that was my real ah say more about that of what 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 can we count on well when you're threatened with mortality mm-hmm. you naturally start asking yourself if you're just this body Mm-hmm. If you're just this body, then you're doomed. You can count your days out and then, then it's all over. Uh, but if there's another awareness, if there's something more to who you are, uh, then it becomes much, much more interesting. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is as the things that I associated with myself started to fall away externally, my job, my career, my friends, all, there was something in me that didn't change that was that I could count on. And that was yeah. my deep awareness. And the more honest I got with myself, the more practice I did, the stronger that awareness became. And so that's what I have counted on, like most seekers and, and mm-hmm. survivors do. It's that spirit that doesn't, that, that can't be taken away. Yeah. It's the part of ourselves that doesn't die regardless of what's happening you know, circumstantially in our lives. Well, that's really interesting to me. <clears throat> There's There was a time where... <sighs> where I got to a place where I stopped saying that I was a seeker. And I even remember right doing, writing a blog post about that of like, you can't go through life continually seeking because then you, you, it's like you're, you're outside of yourself and you're looking for something when out there with, instead of looking inside and, and discovering, and it feels like, and I'm, I'm curious if you feel this way, that discovery is different than seeking. To me, it's, I understand what you're saying. Uh, to me, it's semantics. There are people who have trouble with the word seeking and who associate it with looking outside of themselves. And that's not what I think of as seeking. I think mm-hmm. of seeking the way Rumi said he will always be a seeker because mm-hmm. he's longing for the truth. He's longing for union with the beloved. He's longing for uh, himself. And, and that longing is the, is the heart of the kind of seeking I'm talking about. I learned a long time ago, after I did my first Dharma bum stint, mm-hmm. I realized that I was, I was basically being an escape artist. I was on right. the road. I was looking for mm-hmm. answers and truth out there. And I realized I, until I brought them home and integrated them into my, my home life, they wouldn't really mean anything. Uh, so I realized that seeking uh, in that other way was a dead end. Mm-hmm. Uh, da Frijan, who was an interesting teacher, oh, gosh, said, that, I remember. said spirituals, most spiritual seekers are narcissists in drag. 
Yes. And I, and yeah, I realized that's a great that, line. Yes. Absolutely. Right. And then until mm-hmm. I came home and started to look within myself, I, I was not going to, uh, I was going to miss, miss, miss the mark. Yeah. But, and I agree with everything you just said. And I, I have this sensing, I have had this experience really where I stopped feeling myself as a seeker because I just, I was, it's like, okay, here I am. And I don't, I'm not talking about enlightenment because that's not something I, you know, need to use that word, but the feeling of, of interconnection. And really, and this is what I wanted to get to with you a bit, the feeling of being loved and surrendering to that experience, that inner experience of being loved. That for me took me beyond feeling like a seeker into, oh, (laughs) just isness, if I can say it that way. Yeah, no, I completely understand what you mean. Uh, but isness is dynamic. It's not Absolutely. static. Right. And so in those moments when one doesn't, isn't aware of the love, forgets the love, mm-hmm. or, or loses the sense of being, mm-hmm. that aspiration in that moment is a seeking aspiration. And, and yes. it, may be, okay. it may be semantics. So, but, <laughs> I know, uh, I know. What did you call it before? It's, um, um, I said discovering. Uh, discovering. Okay, so mm-hmm. a rediscovering. It's the part of ourselves that wants to keep growing until yeah. as we... You know, as we um, expand into our true nature, yeah, that's what I think. That's how I define seeking. Okay, and and I'm think I think of it now more as remembering. Yeah, which yeah, maybe yeah. is the very same thing. It is. It is. Yeah. 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 Although if I had called my group the Remembering Forum, I don't think people would have known. what it was. <laughs> Remembering the truth of who you are, guys. Come on. <laughs> you would have thought it was a group for amnesiacs. <laughs> now, one of the things that you speak to, which I think is so important, is about how skepticism and doubt are really an essential part of the whole process. Why is that? Talk about that, if you would. Well, doubt keeps you honest. You know, the mind has a tendency to go off into fantasy and all kinds Mm. of projections and conceptualizations. And doubt really grounds you and says, well, is this really true? Mm -hmm. How can Mm -hmm. you know that it's true? As Byron Byron Katie would would say. Right. Doubt uh, within reason, when it's constructive, is very, very useful. But the problem is when doubt becomes excessive, uh, self-doubting, that we, um, it, it becomes, it can be toxic and no revelation or, or real wisdom can get through it because there's this mind, this strong mind is mm-hmm. saying, no, 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 or prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it, prove it. Mm-hmm. That mind will never be convinced. And right. that's our, that's our nemesis. Because it doesn't allow you to recognize a direct experience. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Nor does it allow you to grow. Because that kind of doubt is around is, is has to do with protecting our identity and who we think we are. Mm-hmm. So anything that threatens that, whether it's positive or negative or positive, right, that right. part of the mind will will fight off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, you're a psychologist. You yeah, know well, that. it's very much a, an, an ego function. Yeah. This is yeah. safe. This is known and familiar. The other isn't. Yeah. But honestly, if I had that let that voice rule me, most of the things that happened in sex, death, enlightenment just simply would not have happened because they were completely outside my my ken, completely outside my 
realm of what I thought was possible. Mm-hmm. So what was it that, mm, without giving too much away, <laughs> what was it that, that allowed that door to open? Honestly, it was seeing somebody who was in a, an enlightened state, a state mm-hmm. that was unlike anything I had seen before. Mm-hmm. And when I met her, her name is Mother Mira. She's a teacher who lives in Germany. She's an Indian woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's an extraordinary being who, who gives her blessing in silence. And when I saw her the first time, I knew I, in my body that yeah. I was seeing something I had never seen before. Yeah. And as I, and I came to live with her for months at a time and, and to travel with her in, mm-hmm. in India, and the longer I've known her over 30 years, the more convinced I am that there is an other, there are other levels of consciousness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's not a guru. I don't sit at her, you know, it's not about that. Right. She's doing whatever she does uh, exactly. as, a, as a healer in, in the world. But mm-hmm. what it did for me is it, it melted my skepticism away enough to allow those experiences in yeah. because I couldn't deny what I was feeling in my body. And I and was have I was started having you know, having visions and dreams and it was just nothing like I had ever experienced before and yeah. it was simply because I had been uh, around her. So without deifying Mother Mira or any other uh-huh. guru, when you have that experience of coming up against a thing you can't explain, that's when the mind yeah starts to open. I I, I mean that speaks so uh, similarly to the experience I had with a teacher, Dawn. Um, who became my teacher for many, many years until she passed. And I worked with her very closely. And I love that you say, you know, she's not a guru. You're not trying to do her work in the world because it's not about that. It's not about deifying them. It's about what is brought home to us, you know, and and that's how I've spoken about is I felt something in my body that I have never felt before and a recognition and a truth that everything else then got compared to that, which felt like truth. Yes, yes, completely. Uh, When I saw Mother Mary for the first time, I had this image of being like a candle. Uh She was this fire, this bonfire. (laughs) And so it was, there wasn't, we weren't different, essentially. Uh She was reflecting back to me what I have had inside, but that I hadn't paid much attention to, as one doesn't. In a materialist Western culture, absolutely, right. We're not taught to you know to to take care of that the the flame within. We're taught mm-hmm. to go outside of ourselves and achieve and show ourselves and all of that, yeah. prove ourselves. So that's what she did for me. Is she showed me that there was something in me that was alive in that way. Mm. And that was ex- incredibly exciting. Absolutely. And so, was that a a turning point for you in, in how you proceeded with your life? I would say that it was. It wasn't a straight line. Of course uh, when, not. <laughs> when I met Mother Mira, it happened to be on the way to India. And then I started have, uh, I had three months in India, which were bad and good and terrible and wonderful, <laughs> everything. Mm-hmm. It was in the back of my mind, there was this context uh, for something that was possible. I, because that I had actually seen with my own, eyes and felt with my own body that level of love so yeah. it start in that way uh there was no turning back but of course as you know on the spiritual path it's 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 uh it's three steps backward two steps <laughs> forward it's you know most and most of the time we have to you know get the get the dirt kicked out of us before we're actually going to turn toward god so there mm-hmm. were a lot of setbacks a lot of pain and loss along the way but 
that's what deepens the deepens the process. And what I came to understand finally was that there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere. To, I wasn't trying to get somewhere. Yes. I wasn't trying yeah. to be the world's best meditator or the world's most enlightened person. <laughs> I wanted to live with this deepening awareness of the nature of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that includes everything from you know, the most banal, <laughs> emotional you know, issues to, to the transcendent. Yeah. You know, it's the whole range. That's really beautiful, Mark. And it it is the whole range. And and, uh, so often, one of the things that I see is that people get stuck in in having to be right or wrong, having to be right and therefore making someone else wrong. And um, I, I think you talk about that as the spiritual ego. Yeah, well, we live in polarities. We live mm-hmm. in the the left brain is all about binary, this and that, and duality. And what spirituality does, of course, is takes us beyond that to to a feeling of unity. Mm-hmm. But what the psychological ego can do with the spiritual search is turn it into another uh, achievement, another mm-hmm. accomplishment. Uh, Trungpa, of course, talks about this in cutting through spiritual materialism. It's it's mm-hmm. you know when I first heard the expression spiritual materialism, I, I completely got it because I could <laughs> see how my mind was turning these experiences or wanting to turn these experiences into something that made me superior mm-hmm. or wise or in somehow some way different. And yeah. I really had to have that knocked out of me before I, I started to have any kind of wisdom. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And if you look at, at where you are today, <laughs> You you created the the Seekers Forum, for example. What what led you to do that? Simply, I didn't know any groups that were just for seekers from all different paths who were interested in asking existential questions, philosophical oh. questions, uh, and writing about them together. It's a self inquiry uh-huh. book, so we write about we write together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wanted something that was non sectarian, that wasn't religious. I'm mm-hmm. not a, I'm not big on groups or authority. Uh, there's something in, in Sufi tradition called Sohbet, which means the spiritual talk of friends. And mm. I wanted it to be based on that. Yes. Uh, so I started it in 2013, and it's been, it's been just wonderful. We have people all over the world, and they are religious and non-religious. They are atheists. They are believers. Mm-hmm. But they're all people who are interested in asking deep questions. And, and that's, of course, the essence of the seeker's quest, the, the, mm-hmm. the discoverer's path. Mm-hmm. Is asking questions. Yeah. And and the corollary to that for me is being willing to receive the answers. Because so often people ask and they get caught up in the asking. Yeah. And I well, I can speak about that for myself. For me, it was really hard to receive. It was really hard to to soften enough to receive, to allow myself to trust enough to receive mm. and to even, get even quiet enough it, to receive. <laughs> excuse me. Even when it was you asking yourself questions. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because I was having to receive from this part of myself, from presence, from, you know, the, the field of potentiality. And, you know, in, in those early days, that was, you know, I, I like to be in control. <laughs> <laughs> right. So even if you're getting great, it was questionable 
because it, you weren't in control of it. You didn't know exactly where it was coming from. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's been long gone, but I, I know that so many of the people that I work with, you know, I, I see that come up. Just that, that, that allowing into this, what I said earlier about surrendering to love. Mm-hmm. We yes. do have to surrender to it. Yes, yes. Before and we also have to surrender to that still small voice within, you know, the exactly. voice of intuition. So yes. many of the people I work with don't trust their intuition. Yeah. And their intuition can be screaming on the mountaintop, jumping mm-hmm. up and down, saying, telling them one thing, and they are fighting so hard not to look at that. And yeah. that's what leads to leads to anxiety and stress and and and, and breakdowns. There's people fighting what they truly know. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's what, that's the work I do is really teaching people how to listen, you know, to that still small voice within. And it's, it's so much more than what we've been taught or what we, what we think of as intuition that we can get that direct guidance if we are so inclined, you know, willing to take the steps to do that. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you mentioned steps because it doesn't happen automatically. It takes no, practice. So for practice. example, let's say you're using writing for self-inquiry and you mm-hmm. are getting information, but you're questioning where it's coming from mm-hmm. because some of it seems like it's tinged with ego. Some of it feels like it's really your mm-hmm. will kind of, so we have to get, cl- we have to practice mm-hmm. uh, separating out what's coming truly from ourselves Yes. And what is one of these acquired voices or cultural, you know, <laughs> cultural influences? Yeah. Um, because we can, you know, magical thinking is a powerful thing. Absolutely. And to be able to have the discernment of, of one's own heart. Yeah. yeah. And that's a yeah. very powerful thing and not easily gotten to. Nothing worthwhile is easy. <laughs> It's not, I mean, whether it's love, whether it's God, whether it's art, whether it's activism, service in the world, healing, nothing is easy that matters. Mm. So I'm always, um, I find that actually heartening because my experience has been how long it takes to actually grow, actually change, uh, make fundamental change. And I've just come to accept that things that matter tend to be, to require a lot of a lot of attention and effort and that's, mm-hmm. that's as it should be. Why wouldn't it be that way? Well, <laughs> interesting dialogue here because I've also had the other, the opposite experience was that in a moment something can shift. So it's really where I moved on from being a therapist of having to process for years and years and years and essentially recreate the same issues over and over by one's attention to that old pattern. Right. And that right. there is there is a, there is an ability to shift that focus and to through one's own feeling body know the truth of something different and and step into that. Oh, no question about it. But once that happens, it's practice. It's practice to maintain it. To continue. Sustain it. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yes, it's not exactly. Many people say they have an epiphany and they mm-hmm. say, "Well, gosh." I'm enlightened, or I, now I see it, Eureka. <laughs> and I say, oops, wait till tomorrow. Right. Don't be surprised when you keep forgetting. That's also part of the game. Yeah. Yeah. And don't be hard on yourself when you forget. No, no. My friend Sharon Salzberg says something wonderful. She says that when you're sitting on a meditation cushion, even if your mind is wandering for an hour, 
Mm-hmm. The minute you realize that your mind is wandering, mm-hmm. that's a moment of enlightenment. Exactly. So it's the same thing with any process we're going through. It, it, no matter how how many times you forget, when you remember, mm-hmm. that's enlightenment. You're actually making progress. Yeah, and that's the only thing that counts is that moment. That's right. That's <laughs> right. That's right. And you don't get to that moment very often. Often until you've gone, you know, through down a lot of dead ends and made mm-hmm. a lot of you know mistakes and <laughs> done a lot of forgetting. Yeah. 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 If you want to play the piano, it takes a lot of years to figure out how to play scales, you know, and Mm. you might have an initial inspiration to sit down and play and you might tinkle some lovely little ditty out. But if you Mm. actually want to play the piano, it takes practice and and, and years, but it's a joy. Yeah, It it comes from desire and joy. It doesn't come from punitive discipline or a sense of not being enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's one of, yeah, not being good enough is one of the, the patterns that I see really gets in the way for people. Oh gosh, yes. Oh, then that goes to the heart of what we're taught about what we are. I mean, yeah. in a culture that believes in original sin, for example, mm-hmm. you know, it's no wonder mm-hmm. we spend our lives trying to redeem ourselves or save ourselves from some imaginary, you know, hellfire and brimstone or, or just the, the mortifying of being mortification of the flesh. We're taught so many terrible things about what we essentially are. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love the Buddhist vision. I'm not a card carrying Buddhist, but the vision of our essential nature being good. Yes. Is what mm-hmm. we need. That to me is the antidote to so much of the propaganda that we get from a fundamentalist religion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So extending that to what's happening globally right now. Oh, my goodness. Um, It does feel like uh, a change of an epoch. (laughs) I mean, on the big scale and then on the everyday scale, people are are struggling. Um, They're struggling to remember. They're struggling to, you know, to keep with a certain focus. How can spiritual practices, how can those things that you have been speaking to help in this regard? The first thing is that uh, people realizing that things are as they are, right? Mm -hmm. Allowing ourselves to accept the changes, the loss, the damage, the confusion, that these Mm -hmm. are, that things are as they are, that there's not something, there's nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. So when we get out of this idea, there's something wrong, I've got to fix it. Mm -hmm. And it puts us in a different relationship to what is. And we say, well, how can I turn the obstacle upside down? You know, how mm-hmm. can I find uh, a- another way through? Learning to accept and surrender in moments of crisis is 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 a powerful spiritual practice. Mm. It's the it's the heart of resilience as well. You know, I, I did a book years ago with where I interviewed survivors from a wide variety of backgrounds, and the one thing that they all had in common was that this ability and desire to change. That if they hadn't been willing to change, if as long as they wanted things to go back the way they were, they were uh-huh. stuck. If they wanted to heal, they needed to move, go through the fire. And that's what we're being invited to do now yes. as a culture. Mm-hmm. We have to go through the fire. We're not going to be who we were in, in 2019, nor would we want to be. Right. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited to hear you say that, frankly, because so many people talk about, oh, when can we get back to and what are we going to get back to? And do we want to get back to? What are we moving towards? Seems like the more the smarter question. It's not only a smarter question. It's the only question that's based in reality. 
There is no going backward. There is no <laughs> going backward. So when people talk about bouncing back, I say bounce forward. You know, don't mm. bounce back. There's nowhere to go, go, go backward to. Yeah. You know, when it starts healing, awareness, insight, growth begin now. Mm-hmm. If they're not, if we're not accepting what is and making space for things as they are, we can't, we can't to transform what we've been given. Mm. Yeah. Someone said to me once, you can't transform what you haven't first blessed. And I really think that that's true, that there's a way until we give the blessing until by and by blessing, I, I think of allowance, just allowing things to be what they are. Yeah. Nothing, nothing can really change. Right. Right. So allowing, recogni- recognizing it, stop trying to, to create it into something it's not. No, it's not. It's to stop fighting with reality. That's the yeah. essence of spiritual practice. <laughs> it's to actually stop fighting with reality. To step outside the conceptual mind that's trying, that's creating stories all the time, and simply mm-hmm. be in our body, be in the moment, pay attention. And when we do that, life gets so much more interesting and profound. Mm-hmm. How is that for you right now? I mean, what what is it that you feel like you're looking to in these days? What is, what is being created through you? I guess that's a question. You know what? One of the major things that's happened for me is that I've come to understand relationship in a different way because mm. the lockdowns, the, sep- the, the social distancing, the separation, it has been a real test on relationships. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that there are some relationships that cross the Rubicon and there are some that just have not, yeah. the, that the true deep connections have gotten deeper. Mm-hmm. And people who were really not intimately connected. To, mm-hmm. to me, or we didn't have serious business together, you could say. Yeah. Those relationships have really, you know, have really diminished. So for me, it's been a real education uh, of the heart because we oh. tend to think of friends as this generic, you know, umbrella term, but a friend is a very particular thing I've learned. Mm. A friend is somebody who actually stays and abides and, and, and cares and attends in a close way. Uh, and and the other folks, lovely, you know, they can be friendly, mm-hmm. but they're people who basically keep their distance until things go back to normal. Wow. And I, and for me, that's been a real revelation. And mm-hmm. it's actually been mm-hmm. an awakening because I can be quite sentimental about relationship and think that, oh, well, once friends, always friends. Well, that's not actually true. Yeah. Nor is it necessarily needed. It's not needed. It's not, it's a sentimental idea. Yeah. That, that yeah. From, a good story. <laughs> it's a good story. It's a good story. Once somebody's in your life, they're always in your life. And yeah. uh, people mean well. And of course, most people do most of the time. But this, you asked me what, where my attention has gone. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. The area of relationship has really been one of the deepest, um, the deepest shifts for me. Mm-hmm. I, I've been finding oddly that um, that people that from decades ago are circling back into my life. Mm. I mean, maybe, you know, 40 years ago kind of people. And that has been so surprising to see, well, who are you now? And then I get to see myself in a different way because yes. I get to see myself through their eyes and, oh, I am not who I was. Not that I didn't know that, but it's an interesting process to, to experience. Yes. And have you seen that there are people who have been in your life who have 
sort of who have faded or absolutely just not shown up. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I love the word that you used, abide. That's mm. just it's a beautiful word that we don't often use mm. to, to speak it's, about it's friendship. Yes, any relationship. It's one of my favorite words when it comes to uh, emotional connection, because mm. unless we can be there in those moments when we don't want to be, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. nothing gets deeper, nothing, nothing, no commitment can, can last. Yeah. Thomas Merton has a wonderful uh, line. He says, uh, prayer and love are learned in the hour when prayer becomes impossible and the heart has turned to stone. And that to me is the essence of what I mean by abiding. It's those moments when your heart is turned to stone, figuratively speaking, yeah. and you really don't feel it, that you stay, that you keep trying. That's mm -hmm. what I mean by abiding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's Some so people, it's so precious. It is. Some people speak about that as loyalty, <clears throat> but it feels loyalty like it goes mixed, beyond yeah, that. Loyalty is also, loyalty cuts both ways. Loyalty is a mixed bag. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. We can be loyal for unhealthy reasons. Ah, uh, okay. Um, you know, we can be loyal to an idea or to um, an illusion of some kind mm -hmm. or some idea about how we should be or mm -hmm. ought, mm -hmm. ought to behave. Loyalty can come out of that. Uh, for, for example, let's say you're in a family with a lot of abuse. And mm -hmm. I have been in myself and, and worked with a lot of people who are. The idea of being loyal to that family is mm -hmm. is self-destructive mm -hmm. it's not love it's coming from filial piety and obligation and which is an old story <laughs> old old story yeah yeah so loyalty can be tricky but i love the idea of abiding mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's 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 beautiful <laughs> and then the next piece i would love to bring in is around um the awareness of our own mortality um, in this last year, well, in the, the beginning of uh, the end of 2019, my dearest friend passed. And it was a remarkable experience to go through that whole process with her and to see, I mean, she was a true master in the way she went through it, too. Mm. Um, how does that awareness of our own mortality, which that certainly for me brought very close to home, enhance or jumpstart our spiritual development? I think it's the fuel for it. Mm -hmm. uh, somewhere in Sex, Death, Enlightenment, I say terror is the, is the, is the fuel of enlightenment. You know, that, that when, you are re when you finally actually get what mortality is and what impermanence is, mm -hmm. you realize that there is no time to waste. Yes. There is okay. no time to miss out on knowing who you are. Mm -hmm. uh, because the mind defers and projects and uh, says, well, next year I'll try. But mm -hmm. then let, let, let you find out that you have six months to live. All of a sudden, all the things you've really wanted become crystal clear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when we live with that kind of an awareness uh, of our own impermanence, our own mortality, it makes life incredibly precious. It puts you into the moment. Uh, and, and you also are forced to uh, look at, as I said earlier, what, isn't dying the thing in you uh, that is eternal yes yes so it grounds you in 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 your awareness which isn't of the body it's bigger than the body so spiritual and that's why spirituality uh, mortality has been used as as, as a practice mm -hmm. uh, by spiritual traditions you know forever 
That's mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. Buddhist monks would meditate in the tr- in the in the funeral grounds. They would yes. meditate on the on the bones. Mm-hmm. That's nothing that wakes you up like like meditating on a skull. <laughs> <laughs> and how does how has that shaped what you have chosen to do or not chosen to do? Well, enormously. It's the reason I left a job that I hated when I worked in the magazine business. It's the mm-hmm. reason I took off on a spiritual path. It's the reason I wrote that first mem- memoir, Sex, Death, Enlightenment. It's the reason mm-hmm. that I work the, for the books I've done since and the work I do with students. You know, it, It's all about waking up to the reality of our lives as mm-hmm. they are mm-hmm. and really appreciating them and understanding that they're, how miraculous the moment is. The fact that you and I are sitting here right now talking uh, across time and space in real time. Mm-hmm. This will never happen again in all of creation. This is yes. an utterly unique experience. Yeah. And if we lived with that level of wonder and awe, can you imagine how that would be, how transformative that would be? It Instead is. of always thinking we're trying to get somewhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what, what would be your, uh, I don't want to say words of wisdom. I'm just, nothing else is coming to me right now for, for our listeners about, how to how to keep that wonder alive, how to engender that wonder and mystery about life. Yes. Well, the one place to start is what uh, Don Juan said to Carlos Castaneda, which is keep death on your shoulder. Keep death on your shoulder. Mm. Remember that it's right here. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be snapped into awareness, if you want to keep being reminded of how important it is to be present, if you want to have the illusion of forever taken away so that you can actually um, focus your attention and appreciate what you have, keep death on your shoulder. Keep mm-hmm. that awareness there. So it's not cawing in your ear like a raven. It's not that you're, you become morbid. You're looking at life as it is. Yeah. The nature of things is to die, to, mm-hmm. to, to be born, to, to live, to die. And when we live with only two thirds of that awareness and we lop off the death part, mm-hmm. we wander in delusion yeah. and confusion and wonder where's the meaning? Well, the meaning yeah. comes from recognizing the brevity of life. That's where the meaning comes from. Mm, the meaning comes from the brevity of life. Absolutely. Yeah. If the Cardinal's flight from bank to bank were less brief, it would also be less glorious. Yes. Some um, medieval mm-hmm. monk, I think, said that. But it, it's true. It's mm-hmm. true. If we were going, if if, if life were never ending, if, nothing would mean anything anymore. And you see that in some of the stories where, you know, of, of the immortals who crave, who long for the loss of immortality. Yes, yes, yeah. I think of the Sybil of Cume in, in the, the wasteland. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ask her, what do you want? What do you want? She said, I want to die. <laughs> you know, yeah. She's this shriveled little thing that they keep in a jar. Mm-hmm. And all she wants is out. Yeah. And to, to me, that's a representation of the ego that wants eternal life for the ego. Yeah. But how unbearable would that be? <laughs> that's right. Not, that's right. Not, mm. not what's, what's, what's intended. <laughs> and then we wouldn't have the opportunity to go through our own seasons, our own seasons of life no. of which one of them is the ending, the passing, the transition. Yeah. You know, it's even if we go on into something different or something 
greater, more, whatever you want to call it, this physical body has an endpoint. Yeah. And and that's what makes it so beautiful and so precious Mm. and and, and such an extraordinary gift. I mean, to be born in a human body, to be given an opportunity to have a human life, which Mm -hmm. includes the possibility of awakening. Mm-hmm. That is that is a, a a gift you know beyond you know beyond that's priceless. Yes, yes, and, and it is the brevity of it that gives it its value, and makes it makes it matter in a in a whole different way. Yeah, that's that's both beautiful and just simply true. Yeah. Um, I love that, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> How can people um, find out more about you and your work and what you're doing, what you're up to? Oh, well, folks can reach me through my website, markmatusic.com, or join us at or come to the seekersforum.com. That's all one, all one word. Is it uh, the and, Seekers Forum? Yes, the okay. seekersforum.com or markmatusic.com. And folks can can reach me through there and uh, see what see what I'm up to, what classes I'm teaching and and learn more about the forum. It's very important to me. It's my my labor of love. So I'd love I to invite that. people to come and check out what we're doing. We have a guest speaker every month. We have wonderful teachers visit. And mm-hmm. we do a weekly writing insight group. Uh, mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. The, the heart of, of, of the Seekers Forum. So yeah, I will I'm definitely check it out myself that. because one of the things I do is to teach people how to write from, from the energy. Oh, yes. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'd love to uh, see what you're up to there. That would be lovely. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Come as my guest. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mark Matusik. You have, um, you have brought such a different flavor to us today, a different way, perhaps, of thinking about life and, and thinking about the, the, the spiritual journey. And I really value that. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. It's really nice to talk to you. Mm. Thanks for being with us today at Wisdom Talk Radio. Join us here regularly for more wisdom, discovery, and illumination. And remember, you can find us on your favorite place to listen to podcasts. And most importantly, if you've enjoyed listening today, please leave us a review because that helps more people to access the wisdom and therefore to transform the world. And for more about fast-tracking your ideas to creation and to revenue, find me, Laurie Seymour, over at thebacainstitute.com. Thanks for joining us here at Wisdom Talk Radio. We wish you well in your conscious explorations. For more information and to join in the conversation, our website is wisdomtalkradio.com or at Wisdom Talk Radio on Facebook.